advantage of the day. When you get an opportunity in this game, you make a play. The playmakers on three. One, two, three. Touchdown, Kansas City. The Chiefs are right in the thick of it, baby. Well, it's here. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Defending the Kingdom. Mitch Holtis with you, voice of the Chiefs, along with senior team reporter Matt McMullen. We are packing our backpack as we speak because it is camp time, Matt. And I know it's only my 29th training camp, and I know I don't get excited very often, but I'll be honest with you. I'm really excited about this training camp. It was equipment moving day um, on the backside of the facility this morning. So I got here around 8 a.m. And that's when the equipment staff packs up everything. So all the footballs and shoulder pads, all the sleds the guys will be pushing out uh, at St. Joe, but also all the Gatorade and gum and socks and like everything you can think of and like a ton of all of it. Uh, I talked to Alan Wright, who is, of course, the Chiefs equipment director. He's been at training camp. This will be his 40th one. That's Awesome. He started in 1983 with the Chiefs when it was at William Jewell College a long time ago. Uh, but I was talking to him about that exact same thing. I was like, are you excited? And he's like, really excited for this one. So I feel the same way. We talked about it earlier. Like, every year we're excited. But for some reason, this year in particular, uh, just really fired up for training camp, and it's finally here. I think a couple weeks ago when we did our Defending the Kingdom, we're going to go a trip around the world uh, but I'll give a shout-out to our first one. Don't have to go very far. It was Russell, Kansas. His name is Jake Winshuffle, actually a former great athlete for Smith Center. Uh, but he was talking about how much he enjoyed the last Defending the Kingdom, and it was kind of giving you the vibe of what had happened during the spring and summer. And I think that you'd be in agreement with me, Matt. I think Alan's feeling the same thing. Part of the reason we're so fired up is what we saw in the spring and summer, basically in the environment that the Chiefs are in, which is – they got a chip on their shoulder. Nobody's expecting them to continue the success that they've had. And that is just bringing a fervor to uh, things in St. Joe. I just don't think it happens very often where you have a perfect storm of a team that is so good already and so talented and so driven, but yet feels so disrespected at the same time. And that then motivates them to go out there uh, and achieve hopefully something really special. And we saw that throughout OTAs and minicamp. Yeah. And it's a team that couldn't wait to get to training camp. I think that's why they were doing all these workouts in Texas, right? And all the off time that they had for the most part, they weren't just hanging out at home. They were working on football drills together. And now we can finally get together in St. Joe and, and do this thing for real. So we have so many people around the world that tie into our defending the kingdom uh, podcast. And if you need a pharmacist in Russell, Kansas, which is the home of two senators, by the way, of course, the late Bob Dole and Arlen Specter, uh, he's there uh, for you, but he's also just a card carrying member of uh, the Defending the Kingdom podcast. And by the way, we're going to work on this. I keep thinking about it, but having Kingdom Defending t-shirts made. We're going to get that done so we can send them all around the world. This episode will be called, What Are We Missing Here? What are we missing here? Because we're going in to talk about wide receivers as we begin training camp, but what are we missing? But before we do so, speaking of Kingdom Defenders, let's spin around the globe, equator style. Yeah, you mentioned the shirts. Those are a very popular topic in the comment section. People are very into the shirts, so we need to talk to the marketing We'll get our team. graphic arts department on it, and yeah. we'll set it up. We'll yeah, get it, done. it should be a thing. Um, so 13 names and places, of course, in honor of 13 seconds, people all over the world listening to DTK. We have Carl in North Carolina. Uh, Joel and Vina Del Mar, Chile. You know, I got stranded there once. What? Come on. Yeah. In 
Vina del Mar, the exact yeah. city? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because my dad, Not Santiago. Well, so my dad and I were in Santiago, Chile. It was when um, I graduated college. We went on a big South America vacation together, because when else can you do that kind of thing? And uh, he, against my wishes, carried his passport around everywhere and got uh, his passport stolen off of him in a Santiago subway, which at the time seemed like a bad thing. But we had like trip insurance and got to stay an extra three days. The flight ended up being cheaper to go back home, and we spent the uh, extra three days in Vina del Mar. So, shout out to Joel. <laughs> yeah, how about it? And, and that reminds me, there is a couple, uh, a family actually, that is a missionary family in Chile, uh, and they come to camp about every year or every other year. So we'll see them at training camp. They, they listen to every game. They can't watch the games, but huge Chiefs fans in Chile. So. I, I watched the two thousand. 15 playoffs in Chile. I watched us beat the Texans in Chile. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, um, we have Tim in Washington, uh, Rich in Amarillo, Texas. He turns down the Sunday ticket uh, every Sunday and turns up the Chiefs radio network. That's my guy. You'd love that. In the, in the plains of Texas. Yep. Uh, we have a listener in Cody, Wyoming. He grew up in Liberty, uh, but moved to Cody 25 years ago and has converted some Broncos fans to the kingdom. So love that. Keep doing that good work out there in Cody. Speaking of missionary work. Yep. Uh, we've got Chad. Uh, he's originally from Independence, but now lives in Sarasota, Florida, listening to DTK. Uh, we have a listener in the township of Good Hope, Missouri. Do you know where that is? I have no idea where that is. I should. So it's 50 miles from Springfield, uh, and they also had a message for you. They can't wait to hear you say, touchdown, Kansas City. Okay. That's I can't fun. wait to bust it out. <laughs> Uh, we've got Sam in Israel, Jeff in Cambodia. This was kind of cool. So we mentioned how people are listening all over the world, right? He mentioned that Cambodia is exactly 12 hours time difference from Kansas City. So it truly is the other side of the world. Fantastic. Yeah, listening to D DTK. Um, we've got Paul in Honduras. So a noon start for the Chiefs. <laughs> let's say it's a, we don't have noon starts anymore. Uh -huh. uh, but let's for easy figuring would be midnight for him. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah, drink some coffee and Cambodian kingdom defenders yeah. love it. Uh, so Paul in Honduras, Mark in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. I was in Oklahoma over the weekend actually visiting some friends. Uh, you didn't lose your passport. I didn't. I held okay. on to it. Okay. Um, Rajav in New Delhi, India. Fantastic. He studied at UMKC back in the day, and uh, watching Dante Hall made him a Chiefs fan, and he's <laughs> been a fan ever since out there in New Delhi. Uh, then the last one, you like this one, is Anthony in Marshfield, Missouri. Oh, yeah. But. It's down by Springfield. I guess he was raised in, I'm going to butcher this, Cimarron, Cimarron, Kansas. Kansas, home yeah. of the Blue Jays. Yeah, and Cimarron. he said in, in 1998, uh, he played against Smith Center and yep. said they got destroyed. Yeah, yep. <laughs> but they've had their moments. Cimarron's had some good players uh, down near, you know, the Garden City, Dodge City area and on the Santa Fe Trail. So, all right. Yeah, pretty good. Blue Jays. So we've got, gosh, South America, Southeast <laughs> Asia, Israel in the Middle East. Uh, we got it all covered, seems like. But that was a good one today. That was a good one. Way yeah. to go. Even that town in Chile where you got stranded with your dad. <laughs> uh, not shocked that he lost something. But, no, not at all. Uh, anyway, it's an inside joke. But <laughs> what's not a joke is this uh, episode of Defending the Kingdom, which is what are we missing here? Because we're going to talk about the wide receivers and the core of the Chiefs. Uh, this, of course, has been a big topic since, oh, March the 23rd of 2022. We know what happened on that day. We'll just leave it at that. But since then, the kingdom has wondered what's going on. And as we are on the cusp of packing our bags and headed to St. Joe, uh, and, and there's been a lot of discussion about offensive tackle and, of course, Orlando Brown Jr. and, and that, that we'll save that topic for 
for later, uh, even as camp gets going. But to begin camp, some thoughts here on this wide receiver core of 13 right now on the roster. Jerrion Ely is listed with the wide receivers by the PR department, but honestly we know he's an eighth running back. He's in that group of eight running backs. But there's 13 wide receivers in this uh, core that is going to camp. Now, in this group, there are three players who were part of Super Bowl champion teams. There are three players in this wide receiver group that's led the NFL in categories, certain categories. Two led them in receiving at the end of the year, and then one in yards per catch. And then three have won Pro Bowls. So the conception, or the misconception, I should say, of like, gosh, who is this nondescript wide receiver core of the Chiefs? Well, over the next several minutes, maybe we'll kind of clarify some things uh, about this Chiefs wide receiver core, and maybe you can have your own answer to what are we missing here. But as a group... You and I are excited as we are about watching camp about this group because people aren't expecting much. And it's not just external uh, interest or the lack of confidence, but there's some within the Chiefs' kingdom that are going, gosh, what are we going to do? We, we don't have any receivers. What's so exciting about this group, as you mentioned, is that there are legitimate playmakers who can get themselves open and who can do a lot of different things. And my thought is Patrick Mahomes can count on all over this group. And, of course, Tyree Kill is an amazing player, one of the best receivers in the NFL and was a huge part of this team for several years. But if you look at the depth chart for the Chiefs in recent memory, some really good players at the top, but you can't necessarily say there's five or six guys on here that I can count on every single snap. And I think we might have that this year. And that's why I'm so excited about this group. Uh, you look at the top four guys, McCole Hardman, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, and then hopefully Sky Moore drafting him in the second round. I think, I think he could be a big contributor this year as well. Those are all players that if I said, this guy has to make a play for the Chiefs to win a game, you'd say, yeah, I could see that happening. And then think about the other guys competing for the extra spots on this roster too. Guys like Justin Watson, we'll talk about him later, but uh, interesting player. Uh, Josh Gordon, Gordon was on this team last year and kind of came on for a while until he landed on the COVID list and uh, his season kind of got derailed. But we know Josh Gordon with a full off season now can maybe do some things in this Chiefs offense. Justin Ross, a big time UDFA signing. Darius Fountain made this team out of camp last year. Corey Coleman, former first-round pick from several years ago, he's in this camp. Cornell Powell, draft pick from a few years ago. Uh, the list goes on here. Just lots of players that you can say, you know what, I could see that guy making this team and making a real contribution. And Patrick Mahomes has mentioned several times, he's excited about this offense this year because defenses are not going to know what to expect. And the varied approach, the variety of options that Mahomes has, I think will really pay dividends as the year goes on. Might be some growing pains early on, but by the time the season is over and the Chiefs are hopefully winning the Super Bowl, I think there's going to be a lot of situations where it's third and five and you have no idea where the ball is going, and that's good news for the Chiefs. That's where Andy Reid has been the most effective, whether it's here or in Philadelphia. But there's also varied skill sets. I think that's what you're alluding to. And then there's various sizes, various sizes and shapes, which has not always been the case. But let's start with McCall Hardman. And what am I missing here with McCall Hardman? Almost 700 receiving yards last year. Did we discount the fact that he, was, he had over 100 yards receiving, 
uh, I believe, 13 targets and eight catches in the regular season finale against the Denver Broncos. We know he's a Super Bowl champion. The most, uh, one of the most forgotten plays of that odyssey was his 58-yard kickoff return against the Texans, down 24 to nothing in the divisional playoff victory uh, last year against the Buffalo Bills. In that incredible, you talk about 13 seconds, but in the win in overtime, the play that set up the play was McCall Hardman running a crossing pattern and having a 26-yard reception against the Bills. We kind of forget this uh, from a guy. He's also been a pro bowler. He's 7-2 and two in the playoffs. <laughs> what, what am I missing here with McCall Hardman and thinking he won't be a huge part of what you've alluded to in this group of kind of multiplicity of talents of receivers? It was exciting to see McCall really come into his own late last season. I think. So over his final five games, including the playoffs, he had 342 yards from scrimmage. That includes that Broncos game. And what was exciting about that game is he didn't necessarily know he was going to have a huge role in that game. Tyreek got hurt in warmups, and McColl essentially had to step in there uh, in a bigger role than he anticipated and thrived in it. I mean, the Chiefs probably don't win that game without McCall Hardman having the performance that he did. But he didn't did. get any credit for it, did no, he? No, he really didn't. And At least outside the fort. And the Bills game is a great example, too, because that big play at the very end of overtime that set up Travis Kelsey's touchdown, we kind of forget about it because he didn't score on that play, but uh, it was super important um, to the victory. You know, one thing that excites me about McCall as part of how he kind of came on at the end of the season is just how good he is behind the line of scrimmage in a way that many players are not. So McColl last year was targeted on passes behind the line of scrimmage 26 times, all right? That's a bunch. He caught 25 of them for 252 yards and two touchdowns. He averaged 13 yards after the catch on those. If that's first and 10, that's an automatic first down every single time. And he really just impressed in that area. Uh, Pro Football Focus had him as the best receiver in the NFL, best player in the NFL, including running backs on passes behind the line of scrimmage uh, when guys have at least 20 targets. So that's what he was so good at last season. But he did other things well, um, too. I mean, on routes of 20 or more yards, he had four catches for 172 yards. We know he can stretch the field. But becoming more of that intermediate receiver was kind of the next piece of his game because we knew he could stretch the field his rookie season. Um, but last year on throws between uh, zero and nine yards of the line of scrimmage, he had 27 catches for 226 yards. He did a little bit of everything and impressed. So I think going into his fourth year now, we know he's probably the fastest player on the team. We know he can do different things in this offense. I think he's going to have a great year. I think his head's in the right place, uh, and I can't wait to see what he can do. Well, and those plays behind the line of scrimmage, think about this. A lot of those are flip passes, so he's motioning across and getting a full head of steam. But a lot of those two are bubble screens. And a bubble screen is you have to make a split-second decision. Where's my blockers? And it goes back to, I think we discount his athletic ability. We know about his speed, but his, his quickness and his ability to instinctively make decisions with the ball goes back. To, he was a five-star rated quarterback coming out of Elbert County, Georgia, and of course became a Georgia Bulldog recruit. But this guy was a quarterback and had to make instinctive decisions in space, so to speak. And I think his skill set we underrate in the fact that he can run those bubbles or flip passes or those plays behind the line of scrimmage. Not everybody can do it. Okay, a lot of that is a natural God-given ability, but some of that, too, is a learned trait. I think with McColl, he has both of those skills. And on those, those pop passes and those jet sweeps, 
it looks like everyone else is in slow motion when he's running. He's so smooth in his way he can weave through traffic, and it's just something that's helped the Chiefs win a lot of games in the past. And now with presumably a bigger role this season, he has to make the most of that opportunity. But every time we've talked to him over the last year, he just seems excited about it. Uh, and I'm excited for him. Yeah, I am too. Uh, let's uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. Now, we're not going to go through all 13 guys here, but there are six that I want to kind of focus on. But let's go to Juju Smith-Schuster next. And Chiefs fans are excited about him. He's one of the three Pro Bowlers. He led the National Football League in receiving when he had the monster 2018 season. He's had three playoff games. Uh, the fact that I think he's adjusted his game, too, throughout his career, and he's had the injuries. Remember last year he was activated for the playoff game, and you and I both were thinking, uh-oh, going to have to account for him, but now he's here wearing red, white, and gold. So Juju Smith-Schuster, in the way he's adjusted this game, there is this combination of uh, speed and power, but his ability, too, I think, to play underneath. And, again, could be a zone buster uh, with the way that he plays. But Juju Smith-Schuster, if healthy, because that's going to be one of the questions, uh, going into St. Joe and how much can he do, what kind of reps will he have, can he be up and running at full speed in that opening game against Arizona to start the season, are the questions that we have about Juju Smith-Schuster. But we also know when he's on his game, he is an elite, potentially elite receiver in the NFL. In 2018, the season that you referenced, he had 111 catches for 1,400 yards and seven touchdowns made the Pro Bowl. He was outstanding. Since then, the injuries were part of it, but also the quarterback situation in Pittsburgh was not quite ideal uh, with Ben Roethlisberger being hurt uh, for an entire season. Uh, they had guys like Mason Rudolph come through there, Duck Hodges. Just not a great quarterback situation for a receiver. Uh, and to his credit, I think he made the most of it. If you look at 2020, uh, he ranked ninth in the NFL in catches with 97 and had a career-most nine touchdowns. That's 2020. Last year was a wash because he was hurt for the majority of the season. But the thing with him is it seems like he's been in the league forever. The man is 25. He's 25 years old. There are rookies that enter the NFL at times who are like 24 years old. So Juju Smith-Schuster has his entire career ahead of him, and we've seen what he can do when he is healthy and has an elite quarterback at his disposal. He's really good. Now, you mentioned how he kind of moved his game around and adjusted uh, over the last couple years. That impressed me. So the last two seasons, he primarily was a slot receiver for Pittsburgh. 885 snaps out uh, inside as opposed to 251 snaps outside. And that time in the slot contributed to the fact that uh, 62% of his targets over the last two years were on those short routes, so routes within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. He was automatic on those almost, and then he would make things happen after the catch. So the last two seasons, or sorry, since 2017, he, he has 1,700 yards after the catch. That ranks 19th in the NFL, and he missed all of last season, basically. Even with the injuries, he's still really impressed in those areas. So Juju Smith-Schuster, I don't know how defenses are going to play the Chiefs this year, but if they want to go with the whole two-high safety thing again, Juju Smith-Schuster is going to live in the middle of the field on those short routes, and he's proven that he can really succeed doing that, and defenses are going to have to respect it. So I'm excited about that. He can also stretch the field, though which is the, th the thing with him. That year he was so great in 2018, he caught nine passes for 384 yards and three touchdowns on completions of at least 20 yards. That's when Big Ben was just unleashing it, right? Yep. So when you have Patrick Mahomes who can do everything with his arm, Juju can also do a little bit of everything and has some size to his game as well. On his resume are two 
97-yard touchdown receptions. Not one, two. And he was the youngest player in NFL history to do it uh, when you mentioned his age. And also a 96-yard kickoff return. The question is, one, uh, how much work can he get done in, uh, in camp? Will they manage his load, probably, uh, coming off his injury? Because we saw that this spring and summer. But two is his catch ratio. One of the things we'll discuss here, and we'll watch this at camp, is his catch ratio. In 2020, it was 76%. Last year, injuries and so forth, missed most of the year. But he's been around also about 54%, uh, which has to uh, improve uh, in this offense. That leads us in then to Marquez Valdez-Scantling because that becomes a part of the discussion uh, for MVS. We were excited. We've had him on Defending the Kingdom, uh, and I'm excited to watch him in this um, uh, training camp. But this is also a guy that's had four playoff games in his career, led the National Football League uh, in 2020 with 20.9 yards per reception uh, for the Packers. Uh, and here's, here's another big stat here. You don't hear a lot with MBS. 123 career catches, which not a huge volume. You expect that to increase. But 13 touchdowns in 123 catches. So you can do the math. That's one touchdown and less uh, than an average of 10 catches. So that's what MVS, we did see enough this spring and summer to get real excited about him, particularly in this offense with this quarterback. He played with Aaron Rodgers, but now you have Andy Reid as well that can use his skills. So MVS will be something very closely to watch. And what are we missing here? I don't know if we're missing anything here. The fact that this guy could be even a higher volume receiver, not just a yards per catch every now and then. You never want injuries to happen, but it was almost a benefit in the early part of OTAs when Sky Moore was out, McCole Hardman was out, and Juju was out, which basically meant that Marquez was the main guy in a whole bunch of installs with Patrick Mahomes, and they just developed a rapport together, I think, that will help later on. Marquez was one of the winners, I think, of OTAs. Uh, you're a, a new player coming in to this organization and this offense. You want to kind of impress, and he did that. Uh, just got a lot of reps in, which reps are so important that time of year. So when you get to a game situation, you kind of are on the same page mentally, and I think they developed that throughout OTAs. So impressed with what I saw. The thing with him is he's tall. He's really big. I mean, he's six foot four, two hundred and six pounds. A very lanky receiver. I think his speed doesn't quite get the credit that it deserves. This guy's super fast. He's one of the fastest players in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he led the NFL in yards per reception, like you said, uh, in 2020. And that's because of the speed primarily because you put him on a go route, he's going to beat a corner uh, in a safety the majority of the time. Uh, he actually reached the top speed of any receiver in the NFL last year, according to Next Gen Stats, at 22.09 miles per hour. That was a 75-yard touchdown. It was the 14th time since 2018 that he reached 20 miles per hour or faster. He hauled in 13 passes and six touchdowns that traveled 20 or more yards in the air over the last two seasons. Uh, And he also led the NFL in average depth of target in each of the last two seasons. So how deep is he downfield when he catches uh, the football or when he's targeted by his quarterback. This guy's going to stretch the field for the Chiefs. And because he has that size and that height that the Chiefs haven't necessarily had on their receivers in recent years, I think he can do other things as well. Maybe be a red zone threat, a corner of the end zone kind of guy. But primarily, the first thing I think he's going to be really good at here is when a safety decides to cheat up a little bit. Marquez can run the go route, and Patrick Mahomes, who has the best arm in all of football, is going to hit him deep. 
Yeah, I mean, we've seen it with Mike Williams uh, with the Chargers, but sometimes you just launch it and let it go when you have a speed receiver uh, like Valdez Gantling who also has that size and, and his ability to move that much weight. To me, it reminds me of like a guy that could run the 100 meters in track but also run the 1,500 meters. And watch this at camp when you come to St. Joe. No one on this team runs more than the wide receivers. Coach talks about it all the time. I don't care if it's seven-on-seven, seven, it's the teamwork. They're always running 20 or 30 yards uh, seemingly on most every play, and not everybody on the team has to do that. So you have to be in great condition uh, to do that as a wide receiver. Now, the catch ratio would be the biggest thing here to watch with MVS. His career catch ratio is under 50%. He's about 49.8%. We saw higher this year uh, during spring and summer, but it is something in St. Joe. So, with Marquez Valdez-Scantling, it is consistency, but you and I both think he can be there, and if he can do that, just think of the catch ratio. If he goes from 50% to 75%, what that will do to his catch and yardage total. No better situation for him than to be with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Uh, when we talked to him when he first signed months ago, you can tell he's hungry for that. And he's still a young player, only been in the league four years, uh, and did some really good things with the Packers. So I'm encouraged by what we saw in OTAs. I hear the clickety-clickety-clicky of the uh, analytics for your fantasy team uh, going on right now. That leads us into rookie Sky Moore uh, out of Western Michigan University. And, and Sky was limited this spring and summer with his hamstring injury. We know the high volume uh, that he had as the Bronco in college, Bronco receiver, and then this high volume of touchdowns with 16 touchdowns. The question here will be to see, if, can he be a chain mover, uh, which we think he can. That means third and four, third and five. Uh, let's just put it out there. Tyreek Hill had 30 catches last year on third down uh, and uh, 75 first downs as a receiver. Same thing with Kelsey. 22 third down catches for first down, 63 uh, first down uh, plays where his catches resulted in a first down. But I'm going to throw this out there about Sky Moore. One thing to watch in camp, Will, can he be part of the return game? I really think six wide receivers will make this roster based on just going into camp. Two of those six have got to be special teams contributors. And we'll get to Justin Watson in a second. But for Sky Moore, the question is, how much will he be able to handle load-wise with his hamstring? Two, what is Dave Tobe thinking about special teams coach about Sky Moore? He has, Sky Moore, has the perfect skill set, I think, what we've seen so far in terms of what he did in college and the stuff we saw during OTAs, to be the receiver that you just mentioned, which is the chain mover on a short third down and to contribute as a punt returner because of what he is so good at, which uh, is breaking tackles, first of all. He actually led the nation uh, in terms of broken tackles last year for a receiver. He had 26 of them. The guy never goes down at first contact. Uh, he's 5'11", 195 of pure muscle, essentially. He had the biggest hands of any receiver at the combine, and that lent itself to him being very sure-handed, only three drops on 125 targets last year. But also, he'll put that big hand in your face and stiff-arm you uh, if you're a would-be tackler. And if you're not 100% committed to taking him down, uh, he's going to embarrass you as a defender. Uh, he's one of the most agile players uh, in this past draft. Uh, Pro Football Focus uh, said this, and I quote, in a class with some seriously agile wideouts, more would be my bet to win if they all played tag, which that's a punt return, right? <laughs> Isn't a punt return essentially tag? Uh, and they said that he was the best at that among all receivers in this entire draft class. 
I think he'll be that chain mover for when he's on the field offensively because he's so sure-handed and he's quick. What made Tyreek so good at those short third downs wasn't necessarily his world-class speed. It was his foot quickness off the line. And Sky Moore, I I don't want to compare anyone to Tyreek, but Sky Moore has exceptional foot quickness. So look for that. Uh, And then also, yeah, in the return game, because of all the traits that I mentioned, I think he can really contribute uh, in that area. Sky Moore is a guy to be excited about. And with all the, the players that we've talked about, adding Sky Moore to this mix is almost like a luxury in a lot of ways, and it's an exciting one. And getting open in that short area, because you mentioned Tyreek Hill and his ability, it was also his core strength. And you mentioned that Sky Moore has that same kind of core strength and footwork because i got to get off press many times. If I'm playing the slot, third down and three, I've got to get off press coverage. And that is about core strength as much as anything for a wide receiver, that and just being uh, on the same page with Patrick Mahomes. One final guy I want to bring up, and I don't want to leave. You mentioned Corey Coleman. Uh, and what he has done in the past, and he actually looked good in the spring and summer. And then Justin Ross, uh, the one-handed grab, which became famous from our 65 TPT uh, group, and they got everybody excited about, hey, is that the Justin Ross of Clemson in the championship game? Uh, Cornell Powell, who's been around, Aaron Parker, who was just recently signed basically in mid-June uh, after the uh, mini camp. Uh, Gary Jennings, Darius Fountain who was on the active roster for many of the weeks last year, and then Omar Bayless, who's been around as well. Don't want to discount those guys. Who knows? They can fly up the chart. I do think six out of the 13 will make this team. That's just based on a mid-July thought as we go to St. Joe. But one other guy I want to mention, and I'm really excited about him, and it's Justin Watson, the former Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Remember, if you're going to have a six-member wide receiver core Two of them have got to be involved in special teams. One of those has to be a four-core special teams guy. Think Byron Pringle here. Replacing Byron Pringle, the biggest thing is what he brought to special teams. And I've talked to Dave Tobe about this. This is experimental. But Justin Watson, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, in three years he was healthy. He was injured last year. So, again, there is some consternation. What will he be like? Can he be up? We saw him this spring and summer thinking he'd be up at full throttle. But 644 special team snaps with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in three years, including their run to a championship, which we all know about all too well in the Chiefs' kingdom. 644 special team snaps. And yet we've seen his ability to be an effective wide receiver. So think Pringle here and maybe even a notch above and sometimes as a receiver, but this is a guy that could be a four-core special teams guy and help win football games. It's where the term experience, you might look at their uh, offensive stats, and you're like, well, he didn't play very much. Yeah, he did. Yes, he did. All those special team snaps for three years, he's comfortable in that area. He could go out there for Dave Tobe, and Dave Tobe would know that uh, Justin Watson would know what he's supposed to be doing out there as a special teamer. Special teams is so important in the NFL where the margin for error uh, in between winning and losing is so small. He can also do some stuff on offense for you, though, too, and that's what you really want. You don't want a guy who's just a strictly a special teamer and you can't rely on him offensively in a pinch at all. Uh, I, I think Watson can do some things offensively if needed. In 2019, he had 15 catches for 159 yards and two touchdowns. So he did some things when he had a chance offensively. So Justin Watson really kind of emerged in uh, uh, OTAs and continued that through minicamp and can't wait to see him in training camp. Remember the story Patrick Mahomes told about their workouts in Texas? Because Mahomes kind of found out about Watson before OTAs even got started. All the receivers were invited down to Texas. We've talked about this a lot. 
but Watson got down there, and Mahomes was throwing with him, and he had no idea how fast Justin Watson was. He called Brett Veach and said, who is this guy again? Like, what, do you, what was his 40 time? Like, who is Justin Watson? Uh, and Mahomes said he was pleasantly surprised by that. And, again, we're talking about all these kind of bigger name players, guys like Juju or MVS uh, drafting Sky Moore high. Uh, but finding guys like Justin Watson, finding guys like that, little diamonds like that, is what makes a team great. And he'll have to earn his spot in training camp, but he's off to a good start for sure. And what I like about this core group of wide receivers is he has a quarterback background, does Watson, so does Sky Moore, and so does McCole Hardman. And honestly, some of the best wide receivers that have played in the National Football League at some point in their career, either college or high school, played quarterback at one time or another, and that does help this group. So, here we go, man. Here we go. The question would be, Matt, what are we missing here with the wide receiver core? And seemingly, it's nothing. A group to watch closely in St. Joe. Touchdown! Lock it down! And the celebration begins at Arrowhead.